So why don't you turn with me to Proverbs 30. Proverbs 30, that's where we're gonna start. I feel a, a particular direction today that I have to be honest, I've struggled over. I've struggled over it because it had to be processed in me before I could give it out. And you know, sometimes that process is not things we like. Five years ago, the Lord began a journey in my life, just moving me and helping me understand how to move season to season and what God was demanding of me in this season of my life. I was taken at the time to Judges, particularly in chapter 13. I was just reading through all of Judges because I was studying some things out in Gideon. But I got to chapter 13 about Samson's mother. And there's a couple of verses that just stuck out to me that particularly made a difference in the way that God was shaping what I think he wanted to do. And the verses paraphrased went something like this. You will not drink anything from the vine and you will not eat anything that has been sacrificed and you will not have this and you will not have that because of what you're carrying. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me that day and he said, you see my boundaries as holding you back but it's because you don't understand what you're carrying. See, if you're not careful, you'll compare a rabbit's gestation time with an elephant's gestation time. The gestation of a rabbit is six weeks. The gestation of an elephant's 22 months. It's difficult to watch other people delivering and you're still getting bigger. It's tough to sit next to the same person on the same row, feeling like you're doing the same things and know they're getting their breakthrough and you still getting fat, having to deal with the things you don't like the problems that come with pregnancy, the uncomfortableness of what it feels like as a woman. All the ladies in here that's had babies, they know. They know what it's like to not fit in the jeans anymore. And I don't know, maybe that was the beginning and that journey was just for me, but I really felt that this was the season and the time to share what it means to kill the beast within us all. The beast that comes to make us second guess what God said was true. The thing that makes us feel like we got to get it now or we'll never have it. The thing that produces anxiety to the point that we go to sleep 
in fear and in trembling and in sweats because we just can't make sense of what's around us. See, we are the most educated generation and yet we tend to be the most emotionally bound. And we're emotionally bound because we live off of the environment to tell us how we feel rather than know who we are and improve the environment we're in. I was raised in church, so I came in two forms today. One, to talk to those that maybe you don't know the Lord and you want a relationship with Him. But I also came to talk to the Christian who's sitting in the congregation, who's living out all the right things, but still struggling. Can't get that marriage thing right can't keep that job can't get a hold of my tongue can't stop that addiction just can't let go of that porn site the one who loves God but just can't quite manage their emotions So I wanted to start in this verse today because this is the verse the Lord took me to. Are y'all okay? Y'all all right? This is all I got today, so this is the way it's going to go down. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to probe you. I'm going to push on you because I know that we are running out of time. I am prophetically acknowledging that time is short and there is no space for us to continue to allow our emotional lives to be strung out by the tactics of the enemy or by ourselves. It is not right to live free on Sunday and bound Monday through Saturday. It is not right to raise your hands in a building but not know how to lift your heart up out of the miry clay on Monday. You have to learn how to be an overcomer daily. You have to learn how to put on the altar the things that you think you have the right to be right about. You have to learn how to say, God, I embrace what I understand about you and what I don't understand about you. I don't get where you're going, but I know you're leading. We have to get to a place that our confidence is not in who we are. But at the end of the day, we can securely say, had it not been for the Lord. I dare say most Christians live a life that they can manage by themselves under the context of morality. They have moral structure but they lack the ability to be spirit-led. So Proverbs 30, y'all all right? Proverbs 30. I don't get to read all of what I wanna read, so I'm gonna read the scriptures that matter the most in this setting, and then I'll make reference to them. If you wouldn't mind standing for the reading of the word. Proverbs 30. 
starting in verse 15. The leech has two daughters. Give and give. There are three things that are never satisfied, four never say enough. The grave or death, depending on what translation, the barren wound, the earth is never satisfied with water, and the fire never says enough. I wanna deal with today the areas of our life that are not saying enough. We live unsatisfied. And as a result, we live in a constant state of hypertension. I'm gonna personify these and try to wrap them around what I believe God's given me. But I believe today that God is gonna supernaturally illuminate his word to people in this room. Lord, I ask you that you will cause your word to become alive, that you will break mindsets and patterns, that you will cause the places that have been scales over our eyes to fall and chains upon our wrists to be broken. I ask you that you will set captives free that don't even know they're enslaved. Let those in whom the Son has come to set free, let them be free indeed. And Lord, today let your word be penetrating and sharper than any two-edged sword. And let it burn in the hearts of men and women. And let the ears of the hearer have the ability to hear. And Lord, as a result, you get the glory, you get the honor. Use my words to communicate your heart and your love to your people. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. You may be seated. Learning how to kill the beast within. The writer in Proverbs 30 is using natural order of things to give us a greater understanding of how the human soul works. He's not talking about the earth that is not the point of Proverbs. In many of the occasions in the book of Proverbs, no matter who the writer is, they use different types of language to personify an emotion or some way that we feel, some way to express human condition. It's like poetry that we read today or the things that we look at in poetry is what does it mean when we take the road let's take in when Robert Frost says that? What does that mean? It doesn't mean that we're actually on a dirt road. Right? It means something greater than that about the being a person and going the opposite direction than the crowd and doing something different than what everyone does. And that's the exact same context of the writer of Proverbs. The writers of Proverbs were doing the same thing. They were using language to describe to us the human heart and the emotion inside that heart. And this is what the writer says. Before we get to verse 15, he's talking about the strength strategies that come against the human heart. He's saying things like, I know that I need to live a life that's purely devoted to you. And I know that my heart can deceive me. And I know that there's things that can back me from what I believe. And so he is, he's talking about the anguishing of what it means to live in between something. When you know something is right and you know something is wrong, but somehow you haven't made a distinct choice strong enough 
to be able to pull you into the right or even into the wrong and as a result you live in a tormented place I would say that most people that are tormented today are actually not tormented by demons they are tormented by their own familiarities in which they have found themselves standing between seasons instead of making a choice on what God said or what they choose to do that's what the soul is about it is an in-between station it's impressionable it is the mind the will and the emotion of a man or a woman and here this writer is telling us that this emotion has a way in which it expresses itself but then he says this but I do need to say there are some things in life that are just never satisfied it doesn't matter how many times I work, what side of the tracks I come from, how much money I make, how good my family is, how great my name is, how many degrees I have. There are still some things that reside inside the soul that want something from me no matter how much I do. And this is what he says. The first one is death or the grave the first thing that the soul craves is absolutes when we get into a place think about it when we get into a place that we become challenged over what God is saying in our life immediately we begin to kill off things bury things say they don't exist say they'll never be what they were before why because the soul seeks to bury things it seeks to put underground the things you can't make sense of and as a result of burying it it's always wanting more things for you to bury so an unredeemed soul living inside of a Christian life is very complicated because God redeemed it, but you have to be willing to live out the redemption of what God said. He didn't just bring you. He said, I am the door. That's what he said in John. I am the door. That means there's a lot more in the house than the door. But if you don't learn how to walk through that door, you will always live with a salvation experience that you have to recreate in order to feel close to God because you never went further to get a relationship with the Spirit because it's the Spirit who confronts the soul. Jesus said it was done, but it's the Spirit of God that confronts the soul nature of who we are. That's why He lives inside of you and me. That's why the Spirit of God resides in us, because in us, He knows how to bring out of us the nature of God. Is this okay? Am I moving too quick? So He says the first thing that there's never enough in your life is the things you constantly want to get out of the way and say they ain't there no more. Living a life of burial is a problem. Here's the problem. There are some things we kill. That is right. The Bible says that. There are things we have to kill. There are flesh natures that we have to kill. But that's not what this writer's talking about. He's not talking about the kind of killing that God 
wants from us when we make our life a habitation for him. He's talking about the things that we don't want to deal with. The stuff that we think if we can just put it underground, it will go away and not mess with us. But the problem is it's never satisfied. It will always come back looking for more. Then he says, not only is it the grave, but it's the barren womb. The barren womb represents a place that you expected something to happen, and it didn't happen. You did all the right things, and what should have taken place didn't take place. So now you live in a state of feeling like you're being withheld from regularly. Because the barren womb is never satisfied. It will always come back for the experience, but it will always leave empty. So these are people in our life that when our soul is unhealthy, we are people who come into the experience with God. We get jazzed up about whatever it is that's happening in our church. We volunteer. We become a part. We go through covenant partners. We are all in. We pay our tithe. But then we don't see the result because we use it as a transaction. So we don't see the result we thought we'd get. And immediately our soul speaks to us. That it's going to always lack no matter how hard you try. No matter how much you bring to the table, it will never be enough to make a baby. And the barren womb plagues our society because it keeps us locked up in a terrible habit. And that habit is to believe we have to work to get because if we don't get, nobody's going to give it to us. And that culture is so prevalent that you do it and don't even know you're doing it. Because you go to work and work 40 hours and get a paycheck, you take that same mentality. You and I come into the relationship with God and we expect to live out that same mentality in that environment. And we don't get a paycheck at the end of the five days. And now we think God's withholding. Because our image of what God is, is tainted by what we do. So barrenness ends up plaguing our churches, plaguing our marriages, plaguing our families. Because we address everything in our life from what we're missing. My reactions become reactions to protect what I'm missing, not even what I have. I will take jobs that only magnify my strengths because I don't want anyone to know what I'm missing. I will not serve in a capacity in my congregation that doesn't complement my personality because I don't want anyone to know what I'm missing. So every decision I make becomes based on my positioning so that no one ever knows how I really feel about what's being withheld from me. 
some people that don't give to the Lord, it's not a tithe issue. It's a mental issue and condition that you believe somewhere deep down that God is withholding from you. And that if you don't keep what you got, God can't get nothing else to you. We say things like stewardship, wisdom, prudence. But the truth is, as good and healthy as those words are, they're neutral words until they have assignment placed on them. You can steward something poorly too. Hitler did. He grew something the wrong direction. There are plenty of people who are sitting today in this room and across all churches in America today that are living their life out with the Lord from the perspective of lack. Believing that God in some way can't do what he said he could do. And as a result of that, your identity is constantly in crisis. Because as long as you believe God isn't doing something, you can't believe he has done something. They do not work that way. If you can't believe that he has done it, it's because you are still believing there's something he can't do. That you have to do in order to make up the difference of what he won't do. Say, well, where do you get that out in scripture? Well, I'm glad you asked. Saul is a great example of this. The Bible says that Saul made many mistakes. He was not God's chosen by the time he got to this incident. He had made so many terrible mistakes. You know why? Because he was brought in by the people and the people constantly controlled what he thought. They were always the ones who shaped his identity. So that's why he could never really be a man. He never was a leader because he felt constantly obligated to what other people thought about him. And so this is what happens in Saul's life. Saul comes to a place and, and the Bible says that Samuel dies. And in Samuel's death, nobody is speaking to Saul about the words of the Lord anymore. Because in those days, the prophets were the ones who came before the kings and gave the word of the Lord. They were the ones that stood in the gap. Of course, now we know in the New Testament that's completely been redeemed. And now we are both king and priest, right? We are both of those things. But in this case, that's the way that the Lord would speak. And here is Saul. Saul comes to a place that he is no longer able to hear God's voice. He is crying out and he, God isn't answering him. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel that as he was crying out to him, he got frustrated for waiting on God. And so he went and asked someone, find a woman who is a medium. Or even interpretations say, will speak with familiar spirits. Now, I'm about to go somewhere that ain't nobody gone in a long time, but I'm going to go there anyway because I don't, it doesn't matter to me. I have fought this battle, and I am ready to take it on hell or high water. Listen to me. Familiar spirits are present today. They are not coming in just demonic seances. They are coming when you, anytime you look for something 
else to provide answers for you from familiar places while God is withholding, according to you, his answer, you will constantly find yourself falling into a place where familiar spirits have access to speak to you and to do in you things that you cannot even comprehend. Do not make light of the spirit world. The Bible says that it is more real than the scene. I am not intimidated by it by no means, but I am aware it exists. I am aware that there is an enemy. I am aware that it seeks to devour. I am aware that I am not just some happy little Western Christian sitting on the back pew of a sanctuary with air conditioning, hoping I could get my praise on. I know that I am a child of a king that has been rejected by a kingdom that has no say. I know that I am blood bought. I know that what he did for me means that I'm not just a child. I am a soldier in the army of the Lord. I am someone who has to rise up and be the voice in the earth. I cannot leave it to my children. I cannot leave it to my children's children. I've got to be the voice God's called me to be. And as long as I keep sitting down in my recliner acting like these things aren't real, I keep letting the enemy triumph. I keep letting him get advantages because I say, oh, this shouldn't be happening. This ain't the way it is in America. That is hogwash. Hogwash. Let me tell you something. Familiar things are knocking at your door continually. Some prophets are prophesying out of familiar places. They don't know. They're not prophesying out of God's voice. They're prophesying out of your family history. And you're believing that madness. I've come to tell you a word. It's time for you to change your mind and see that the voice of God is the only true voice in the earth. And that you lack nothing from him. Wait upon the Lord and renew your strength. For he will do what he said he would do. Stop seeking another way to get what he said. Some of us are not attending seances, but we're attending connection groups that are stirring up familiar things in our life that are speaking to our soul and not to our spirit, who are comforting what we want to feel instead of confronting what we know to be true. I don't care how good a friend is. If a friend is not faithful to wound you, they are not a friend. Because a friend will say, that's madness. Get your mind out of that gutter. Stop thinking like your mama thought and start thinking the way the king of kings thought. Who cares what Aunt Sally said? If God be for you, who can be against you? Stop letting that junk continue to be true. I'm telling you the familiarity that we believe is so shallow. You don't need a menial. All you need is a friend that will say that mess. And you attach more to those words than you do the words of God. Whatever gets you there faster and bypasses his process ain't worth it. The Bible says that Saul brought up Samuel. 
I ain't got no explanation today for that. But I will tell you this. God will get his say. And he didn't say nothing new. If you read the transaction of words between them, all he did was repeat what God already said. But because he wanted to hear something different, he went somewhere different. But the words were the same. God used a witch to say, you better stop that madness. You're going to die tomorrow, brother, because that's what God already said. Listen, if you don't think that the demon realm is still subject to the voice and the hand of God, you live below your privilege. I wake up every day knowing I'm not fighting. I'm victorious in all things. I don't care what you say. My soul is subject to the one I magnify. And I choose to magnify the Lord. I choose to bless him in all things. I exalt his name in all. You think you lack something, you go fishing for someone else's opinion. Looking for someone to tell you something you want to hear. When I was a young adult, not even 20, I was sitting in a worship service in our hometown in Clewiston. I was not married at that time, maybe 18. And a woman who was a well-known prophet came up to me. And she said, she pointed to someone in the congregation. She said, you're going to marry that person. You're going to have a ministry that goes around the world. You're going to preach the gospel. It's going to be amazing. Your, your name's going to be great. You're going to be known on CDs. Well, when you're 18 years old, I mean, that junk is awesome. You know what my rear end did? I was dating that guy who was not there. I went over back to school. I was in college. I went back to school. I told him, you ain't the one, bro. <laughs> true. Absolutely true. Came out of nowhere. Absolutely true. I said, the Lord has spoken. The word of the Lord has come. That's the other guy for me. You out. Broke his heart, <laughs> poor guy. <laughs> Broke my heart because I really loved him. But in my world, she told me what I wanted to hear. Yeah. Out of a familiar place of knowing that I was yeah. moldable yeah. and capable to absorb because at 18, you ain't got nothing. So it's easy to tell people their potential yeah. and call it prophetic. Because anything's possible when you're 18. Unless I'd been in jail, I had all the potential they said. So in my world, I absorbed familiar words as if they were the word of the Lord, only to find myself in soulish turmoil. Because the one who had been described to me as the one in which I was supposed to marry drove me insane. If I told you, you would laugh right now because I work with him every day. <laughs> and God knows I am happy to go home to my life and send him to his. <laughs> he is one of my closest friends on the planet. There is very few people that are closer to me than him. But he was not designed to be my husband. But because potential was in him, potential was in me, we were a few years apart, called to the same things. A familiar spirit spoke through a prophet 
and I attached. Here's my point. My point is I was looking for confirmation about what God was saying over my life. And I didn't judge the word. I attached to what looked like confirmation. Because I wasn't hearing God. I was looking for someone to tell me what God was saying. And God stripped me of that and said, I have no desire to send prophetic voices to you as my voice to constantly give you direction. You either get in my presence and learn it. You either discern it or get off the train. Because the bottom line is most church people, the highest attended church service in a Pentecostal setting is a prophetic session. And the reason is, is because no one's hearing God, but everybody wants to hear from him. We don't hear God because we got problems with God or God's got problems with us. It's because we look for people to be the voice to us rather than to the one who is the voice. And we become like point number three when we become like parched land where we constantly need watered in order to stay hydrated and grow. I got to get my praise on in order to make Wednesday work. Listen to me. I had to preach in a church eight years ago that my mother looked at me. She said, what the heck are we doing here? She looked right at me. We were in the middle of a foreign country, a very, not a third world country. This is a first world country. I had been called to preach. The pastor took a vacation. The week I was coming, it was the weirdest thing in the whole world. I had no idea, never met him. He took a vacation, called me on the phone, said, hey, I'm not going to be there. The church will be full. It'll be great. We're really excited about you being there. And my mom's like, what are we doing, weirdos? You know, God bless my mother. And so I said, well, we have to go. This is the word of the Lord. I have to do this. So we show up. We show up to the church. And there, this is the God honest truth. You can ask her if she was here. There is one box that they were using as a drum beat. And that was it. In a first world sanctuary, a box. And I said to the Lord, this is ridiculous. And I, I look around, the church is full. I look around, I'm thinking they are leading worship off of a box. Not because that's all they had. It's because the your worship team had gone with the pastor because he was preaching somewhere on a Sunday after his vacation. And they had all gone with him. So I was stuck with like 19th string. They were so far down, it was, it was terrible. And I said to the Lord, Lord, how dare you do this to me? Not, none of y'all would have said that. Y'all so spiritual. Take a pay cut one day and then you're like, right? Like, same idea. So I was standing up there and the Lord said to me, he said, you have need to pass this way so that I can test whether or not atmospheres have to be the way you like it in order for me to do in you what I said I would do. He said, if you constantly need an atmosphere to be created for you to hear my voice, then I can't use you in the places I desire to use you because you need it to be your way in order to be there so I can only take you to your kind. But if you could get outside of yourself a little bit and see things from a different perspective and begin to know that I can water upon the land of the earth, whether it comes from there or it comes from the dew or it comes from a watering hose or it comes from a spigot or it comes up out of the ground where you've installed it, under it doesn't matter the point is God can breathe on every situation if you constantly need an atmosphere or an experience
the bar. Teaching us that our soul is constantly looking for a refreshing instead of teaching us how to have a well that we can draw from. See, on this property, we do not have water that comes from the city. Only in our toilet system. All of our, all of our everything else that's fed here is fed from a well. Everything. So that means that even when the city is sanctioning, we get to water whenever we want. Because our source is not defined by something outside. Our source is defined by what it is from the inside out. So now I learn how to live from the well of my life instead of other people's watering my garden. If your garden isn't flourishing, it is not your church, your preacher, your best friend's fault. It's because our well either isn't deep enough or it's run dry. And we've based our growth on what we are around atmospherically and experientially rather than what has been dug out internally. Y'all okay? I told you I was going to challenge us because I, God challenged me. He challenged me to dig into a new place in my life. To stop letting the things that I had always depended on be the things that carried me into the next season. See, there are some miracles that you need to stop talking about, actually. Because God wants to give you new ones, but you're so caught up in the last ones. 25 years ago, we had a move of God in our church. 25 years ago, I remember this. 25 years ago, 30 years ago, this is what God did. What is God doing now? I read a sign yesterday. I wanted to take it and run around the building. These are the good old days, folks. There ain't no good old day. There is just days. And fourthly, he said, it's like the fire that comes. Fire is interesting because unlike the other three, fire stops consuming when it no longer has something to consume. As long as it has fuel, it will continue to burn. And I find that in this place that we're living, that we have shaped our lives to constantly fuel fires. We fuel disputes. We fuel problems. We don't do them necessarily in active ways. We do them in soulish ways. In the mind and in the will and the emotion of who we are. We try to dictate people's reactions to us by our emotionisms. If we act this way, we know we'll get what we want. And we fuel fire. And the Bible says that it never says enough. It always wants more fuel. You're never going to break that pattern until you stop feeding the fuel of the fire. 
You have to stop letting it capture your attention to keep it going. Some disputes should have ended with you five years ago. But we allow those things to continue because they give us an edge of rightness that sometimes is ungodly and most of the time harmful to our soulish man. And we end up living between what is right and what is wrong, tormented over what to do depending on every situation you handle differently. I've come to encourage us not, not to beat us down. As, as some would say, the mama, that's what somebody told me last time I preached, like the mama that comes down on us, okay? I've come to encourage us in this. God wants us to live with a healthy soul. Because listen, when you live out of an unhealthy soul, you will misjudge opportunities. You will misjudge conflict. You will misjudge the places that you're supposed to hide and the places you're supposed to kill. I wrote down on my own notes for this weekend. If you don't get it right in your soul, you will not discern the difference between a coffin and a cocoon. You will believe that because it's dark and you're by yourself, that it's all over. Because your soul needs an atmosphere in order to tell you what's happening. But being led by your spirit, man, changes the dynamics of how you view things. And now you're no longer viewing them from the position of I need to know my surroundings in order to understand what you're doing. But now I know you have hidden me in the cleft of the rock. And that these things in my life are not being destroyed from me. And you've not buried me under the ground to get rid of me, oh Lord. But you have hidden me so that you can transform me and make me. And, and cause your grace to be seen upon me. and So that I no longer crawl upon the earth in a slow pace but now my beauty is being seen through you as I soar into the air in which you've given me because I have not misjudged the process there are many today that have killed themselves out of misjudgment they have killed their potential. They have killed their marriage. They have killed their opportunities. They have killed their education. They have killed their job. They've killed their worth. They've killed their value because they believed that it wasn't hidden. They believed it was dead. And God is saying to us, if you'll get a healthy soul, Galatians 5 is where I was really headed today and I'm, I'm, I'm running out of time, but I'm going to see if I can get at least to the verse. Galatians 5, because, because this is Paul, and Paul is saying, there is an always a war with your flesh and your spirit. There is never a time that your flesh does not want comfort. There is never a time that your flesh does not want to be right. There is never a time that it is not solely and contently against the very nature of God. And he says, furthermore, that is why you must learn how to be led by the Spirit so that you are no longer contending with the flesh, but you are fully and completely aware of what God has done what he is doing and what 
he will do. See, I had to learn that God wasn't killing things in my life. He was hiding things in my life. So when I was observing other people going where I knew God was taking me, I learned how to grow content in my season. And I didn't misjudge what he was doing. Instead of complaining to him about giving up on me and letting everybody else get that and I didn't get any. And instead of saying I'm the one that got left out, I rearranged my thinking in alignment with being led by the Spirit so that I could say, God, you've not given up on me. You've just put me into a place that is not isolated but insulated so that you can work some things that cannot be done in public so that when I come forth, I come forth in the brilliance and in the majesty of what you have created in me. See, the runway was longer, but I was riding on something bigger. I didn't have a prop plane vision. I had a 757 vision, and I knew that it would take longer, but I said, God, do it in me, no matter how long it takes. I don't care if I get on television. I don't care if I have 80,000 followers. What I want is to become what he has said I can be. I want to be in the cocoon as long as I need so that nothing leaves undeveloped. I don't understand why we keep killing what God's just trying to transform. He's just transforming. Some of us are wrestling over thoughts that things you would never think about. They would have never been on your mind, but because you aren't discerning right, you see God withholding. You love him, but you're not seeing clearly. Your soul is muddy. Someone asked me, I was speaking when it came out in an article about the pastor that took his own life. There's been several back-to-back recently. If I knew him, he's from California. A friend of mine did. And then ones that wrote books that have stepped down from Christianity. Young guys, 40, 45. Guys that have children said, how can you stand up and preach the gospel and go home and contemplate things like that? Because when you have soul unhealthiness, any deviation is possible. I don't know where you're at. I didn't even get halfway through my notes. Apparently, I've got a series going here. Eventually, it will come out. I don't know where you're at. But I know what anguish feels like when you're standing between what you want to do right, but you're still entertaining what was. And the turmoil of living in soul torment. Wanting to get it right with God. Listen to me. I'm not talking about a salvation. 
I'm talking about the maturing of who God's called you to be. Because listen, God saved your life. You can go to heaven knowing that the Lord is your savior. If you ever accepted him, but you may not live victorious in your life here. Because victory here means that you've brought your soul under subjection of the one in whom you trust. If you trust you more, your soul will trust you more. But God is looking for a people who will say, I will not misjudge what you're doing. I will not take into my own hands what I don't understand. Anything you take back from God in the times you don't understand has opportunity to hurt you. John 10.10 says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Listen to me. The thief is not always the devil. The thief becomes anything unassigned for a purpose in your life. Money can be your thief. It can steal from you and rob from you. Unhealthy affections can be your thief. Anything left open unassigned in your life. In other words, anything you don't give a purpose to decides what it means to you. And anything left that way is something that there will be dominion, but it won't be yours. Whatever God puts into your hand, he has complete expectation that you will have dominion over it. People that get a bunch of money, the reason that some of those people go and spend it and have nothing in a year is because there was no assignment on that money. There was no boundary. But here's what I think God's doing. He's calling us into a place that he says, if you'll let me lead you, if you'll let me lead you, I'll take you to the place that you can see clearly, but you gotta let me lead. Listen to me. I know people in this room because the Lord had me up. I can't tell you the weekend I've had. It would, it would astonish you. I sat in the car till 11.30 last night with my husband, just in complete and utter anguish over some things that I thought, this is ridiculous. How in the world? I even looked at him and said, I haven't even shared with you what I'm speaking on tomorrow. What in the world? But it's because I know how serious this is. People in this room that you've been contemplating suicidal thoughts. You got addictions that you won't lay down. You got soul issues that are unhealthy. You see life from a lack position. You're constantly believing that you got to have an experience in order to do what's right. You're not a bad person, but you do have to acknowledge it. You only kill the beast if you know that it is there. My greatest challenge in the last five years when God began this journey with me was to acknowledge that I loved him, that he was using me, that I was a part of his family, 
that I believed his word, but there still was a beast in me. Something that was driving unhealthiness at times. Pushing me to have to prove myself. Pushing me to have to make perfectionistic decisions. Never satisfied not being perfect. Until God rearranged my thinking. I'm asking today that the Holy Spirit right now right now we'll begin to do some surgery in our hearts people all over this room would you just close your eyes with me for a minute people that are all over this room that you know there's some place in you I didn't really come to figure out if there was one or a hundred. But I did come to say, this is your day to see your soul set free by allowing yourself to be led by him. I'm asking you to make a decision to let go of familiar things and embrace the unknown in him. Some of you have been fighting the same things for many, many, many years, and it will take a tremendous amount of boldness for you to acknowledge. But I have prayed for you that you will have the courage to acknowledge him and to say, I acknowledge that beast and I want it out. I don't want it here. I don't want to live with deficits that are controlling my soul or causing me to emotionally mismanage what he's put in my hand. I want to rise above and be led by him. If that's you, I just want you to lift your hand all over the room. If that's you, all over the room. Thank you for your courage. There are people all over this room that I believe God right now supernaturally washing you would you stand with me here's what we're gonna do pastor Joey asked me what I was gonna do at the end of this meeting I didn't know totally here's what I want to do I know because I've had to do this what this is gonna require but I'm asking you to have courage. And I'm going to ask you as Pastor Joey sings, and I'm going to ask every one of you that are in this room, please don't leave. I'm asking you to give it a moment. We're early. We're okay. If it's not you, that's okay. But there are people that today, this is an important day for them. There are people that sit on the fence of taking their own life. How dare us make a mockery of it. I'm gonna ask you as Pastor Joey begins to sing that no matter what it is you're facing, whatever part, whatever level this is ministered to you, that as he begins to sing, you will come and you will stand and you will surrender. And you will say, God, I'm giving it over to you.
We are going to sing with you. We are going to pray for you. We are going to celebrate with you. We are going to stand with you. And we are going to acknowledge that every one of us have come and continue to come the same way. Pastor I'm Joe. no longer a slave to fear. If that's you, I want you to come. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave.